My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciacathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today I am sitting down with Michelle May. Michelle is the founder and president of Seva Foods and Benji's Canine Cuisine. Welcome Michelle. Hi. Hi, I'm so glad to have you on the show. For everyone listening, um, I'm going to read a brief bio on Michelle but before I do that, a roadmap for today's podcast will follow the same trajectory that all from these series do. We'll first look at Michelle's academic background and earlier professional life. Then we will unpack Seva Foods and we'll get into some of the logistics, the who, what, when, where, how, why, funding, all that stuff. And then we'll come um, into the kind of the ethos and the philosophy behind it and then some of the other particulars that accompany it. And then we'll look at goals that Michelle may have for the next three years regarding Seva and um, Benji's Canine Cuisine namely um, scaling, expansion, branding, and goal-making. And then we'll wrap everything up with advice that Michelle may have with those who are looking to either get involved in one of her industries or kind of mirror um, what she's done with her professional life. So a quick bio on Michelle. Um, With a lifelong love for food, Michelle is passionate about helping improve the lives of individuals and the health of the planet through the way we eat. She's a graduate of culinary nutrition programs at Matthew Kenny Culinary and is also certified in plant-based nutrition through Cornell University. Having worked for over a decade in tech as a web developer and graphic designer, Michelle has transitioned to the wellness industry in 2015. Prior to founding Seva Foods in 2017, she was a recipe developer and provided community cooking classes, nutrition workshops, and private chef services. In addition to being a nutrition geek and plant-based chef, Michelle is also a longtime yogi, animal rights activist, dog mom, vegan community organizer, and founder of Benji's Canine Cuisine. And I can't wait to kind of, I'm going to crawl through all of that with you, Michelle, (laughs) because it's such, I love, we have so much in common as people who listen to my podcast know. Um, I'm an an avid animal activist, animal rights activist, and proud vegan um, and so I really, I'm really excited to unpack everything. But before we get into your current endeavors, will you drop us into your academic background and professional life following that? For sure. So um, I've never really followed a straight trajectory. Um, I actually went to school for art history and Russian. Nice. <laughs> Russian yeah. 
question. Um, and, uh, and those were things that I was interested in, um, but I had also um, happened to learn web design while I was in school. Um, I never took any courses on it, but I kind of just taught myself through Google and YouTube and um, started and so um, I transitioned into the career, um, started doing websites for small businesses primarily, um, and became kind of a one-stop shop. Um, most small businesses need some, someone who can create something from start to finish, so it helped do some logo design and um, marketing and, you know, all of their tech stuff set up. And I did that for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So did you get your degree in art history in Russian or did you oh, get... I, I ended up, it's, you know, I got really uh, into the web design and development and actually I didn't finish. I was just, I mm -hmm. decided I wasn't going to be using um, that degree and was so busy immediately with, you know, this was... Gosh, this was like 2004, 2005. And so the heyday for website development. There were a lot of people that were doing it. And so um, I just, I started, um, I hit the ground running doing that. And um, I never finished the art history in Russia. And I think I'm only about a credit away from my BA, but um, I've never really had time or really wanted to look back. So I, I was doing the web design and, and the development and I really enjoyed it. Um, mm -hmm. I loved the freedom it gave me in terms of where and when I could work. Um, I love, love, love my dogs and, and being with them. And so I'd say, you know, one of the, one of the driving forces of, of that career choice was just to be able to, you know, work from home and be with my dogs and be outside during the day and, and do all those sorts of things. Um, but I, uh, I never was really passionate enough to grow that company to where it needed to be. You know, I, I started to realize as I got a decade in, you know, that I needed to really scale it if this was going to be my, my long-term career, you know, mm -hmm. which hiring other people and getting bigger accounts. And for whatever reason, I could never really motivate myself to do that. Looking back, I'm, I'm super grateful that I developed those skills and that I'm able to do graph design and web development. And obviously, it's been really helpful um, in my current path. But um, mm -hmm. it's interesting that I was never able to really get myself to grow that business because it just wasn't something I was inherently passionate about for the sake of itself. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I was working um, and, and really uh, had a good career in that. Um, but in 2015, uh, a series of events had led me to decide you know, that I needed to actually move out of that, out of that career path. And then, so did um, launching, um, well, did, which one came first, Seva's um, or Benji's Canine Cuisine? Well, so in 2014, I was in a horrible car accident and um, mm. somebody hit me um, my car was stopped and um, one of my dogs was killed. Mm. And, uh, his name is Benji. <laughs> Sorry, it's so really hard for me to talk about mm. um, five years later, but um when he died, and um, I think everyone that experiences the loss of somebody they're really close to, um, it just made me reevaluate re everything. You know, I just, I realized how short life was, and I wasn't really happy and thriving um, in my job, and um, I decided I wanted to do something that I was more passionate about. And so um, I love food. I love dogs. <laughs> and so the intersection of that is certainly my happy place. And Benji was a rescue and he was such a pig. I mean, he really just loved <laughs> so much. I can't imagine a, a better testament to him <laughs> than to have a dog food company named after him. Um, 
And also the realization that what I was providing for my own dogs uh, was really a necessity because I couldn't do, you know, I literally could not get that anywhere else. If I didn't feel like cooking for myself and I wanted to go down to a restaurant or a grocery store, I could relatively easily find something that met all my standards to eat for myself. Mm -hmm. That's not the case for dogs. And so um, I decided at that time that I wanted to start working on um, dog food that um, was close to what I was providing for my own animals. Absolutely. So the development of, I mean, it, it, as a startup, it's daunting. Anytime you get into food related startups, I, my head kind of starts to swim because a startup and, you know, from the get go with a piece of paper is difficult enough, but you add in things like, um, uh, just all of the, the, the production aspects and the different materials and things of that nature. It just feels like it would be very difficult to get off the ground without having um, like a really serious seed capital. Did you have any funding? Did you bootstrap? Um, well, let's start with Ben. So the, since we're talking about Benji's um, canine cuisine, did you have any seed capital when you started doing that? Very, very little. Um, my mother-in-law provided a couple thousand dollars for me to get my first freeze dryer um, and uh, get my business license and all those sort of beginning things. Um, and really um, just did it on a very minimal budget. I, I'd say the most challenging thing um, about that whole project was, um, <laughs> I, I forgive the pun, but I really kind of did, you know, bite off more than I could chew. I mean, I, I handled it, but uh, I think I made things much harder for myself than they needed to be. Um, developing a complete dog food um, that, doesn't that doesn't have any artificial synthetic nutrients um, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, especially because I don't have a dog nutrition background. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was what took up the bulk of the time in development was, and I don't think that's ever been done. I don't think anyone has ever commercially produced any uh, companion animal food that doesn't rely heavily on synth synthetic nutrients. Um, and so um, that um, in conjunction with, you know, as you said, trying to do anything in the food startup world is always going to be really challenging. Um, the most challenging aspect of Benji's is uh, an aspect that still is challenging for me with Seva, and that's the freeze-dried component. Um, it was much more challenging with, with uh, Benji's with the first, the first product because I was trying to create enough food to feed a dog all of their nutrients um, mm. in these tiny little freeze-dryers that I have. So... Um, ultimately, I put Benji's on hold in 2017 um, for that reason, because it was uh, going to be really challenging to scale without a co-packing partner, and I wasn't able to find that partner at that time. Mm -hmm. And I did a little bit of funding um, to launch Seva, um, which definitely came out of Benji's. You know, I had these freeze dryers. I had finished culinary school. I had learned how to do really amazing things in culinary school, um, including making plant-based ice cream. And um, I had grown up in Texas, going to the Johnson Space Center, always loved food. So I was the most excited about the end of the... <laughs> yeah. Would be at the gift shop and I'd get the astronaut ice cream. And so I had these freeze dryers that I was putting, creating prototypes for Benji's in, but also kind of playing around with other things to see what would happen. And the feedback I got from my close circle of family friends on the ice cream um, was what really gave me the encouragement and motivation to launch Seva, which I did in August 2017. So can you walk us through like um, the nuts and bolts of, did you found it alone? You took a small amount of investment and tell us how it's based. Is it e-commerce? Is it strictly online? Are you also in places? How does the whole thing look? 
Um, well, I, I'd say it's about 50-50, maybe 60-40, maybe uh, with about 60% being online and 40% being in brick and mortars. Um, you know, one of the great things about today for anyone that's interested in, in selling products, especially niche products, is that you have the whole world um, as your potential customer base. And so um, Amazon has been a big channel for us from almost the very beginning um, for that reason, just because they have so many I balls on there that um, even if you have a sort of a niche newer product like mine um, I was I was very surprised by how many sales we got from the very beginning um, even before I started really utilizing the advertising um, so we do quite a bit on Amazon I I also launched with a uh, a WordPress site a WooCommerce site um, which I liked um, because I mean anyone that knows web design knows that WooCommerce and WordPress has a lot of functionality that you can build into it, but ultimately decided to move the site over to Shopify. Um, mm -hmm. One of the best business decisions that I've made. Um, it definitely gave me a big boost in terms of um, organic traffic. Um, I believe that's because of the connection with Google and Google servers. Um, it just seemed like my site visits went up threefold as soon as I moved to Shopify. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize that I had um, enabled international <laughs> international shipping when I started that Shopify site. I just didn't realize that it was enabled. And so I immediately started getting um, purchases from Australia, a lot of purchases from Australia, actually, um, in Spain, yeah. and all these places. So that's been really cool, too, is just to see. Um, I don't do any advertising currently. And so to see these people from all over the world finding my products and paying a lot to ship them um, has been really cool as well. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that because um, any new health trend from physical training, you know, any type of new like band that you're going to constrict a muscle with for growth or anything like that across that to diets and new trends. I mean, I first heard about like the raw movement and when fasting started getting picked up from all of my Aussie friends, they all contacted me first. They do have this like avant-garde health fitness trend. So it's not shocking, but it's funny that you had that experienced by accidentally not employing the international shipping. And it sounds like a happy problem because maybe you wouldn't have in the beginning and therefore not really known, you know, that there was yeah. this audience that would pay so much. Um, so when you do brick and mortar, how do, how do those, how does it differ from when you sell online? Well, you know, it's definitely, uh, to be honest, I really enjoy the direct to consumer better. I do feel like it, I mean, from a, from a founder's point of view, from a creator's point of view, it, gives me a better sense of who my customers are. Um, obviously the margins are better as well um, because you're not, you know, selling it for, you're selling it for a bit more than you would when you're selling it to wholesalers and selling mm -hmm. it to creators. Um, but I also, I think that both are good. I think that both will be valuable. I think a lot of people like to say, oh, distribution's dying, you know, traditional retail's dying. Um, I would say that it's important not to put all of your focus on traditional retail, um, especially as a younger, uh, leaner company. It's really expensive to get into places like Whole Foods. It's why we're not in there yet. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. really, it's just not a priority of mine because um, the direct-to-consumer approach is, uh, is a lot more manageable, I think, for smaller producers like myself. Um, once I start, once I scale, which I'm planning on doing, I'm working on right now and planning on um, really launching early next year with our, with our co-packer and really ramping up our volumes, I think we'll be working with a lot more um, wholesale customers. Right now we're in about uh, 60 stores nationwide, mostly smaller 
you know, independent stores, a lot of vegan stores, obviously natural food stores. Um, and then some of our, our bigger customers here on the West coast are Air One, um, and then Jimbo's here in San Diego, but for, um, it's been primarily smaller, um, customers with our wholesale channel. Um, and then I am available online through a couple of specialty vegan retailers, milk guys who are really great and have just a bazillion <laughs> different vegan products, a really fun website to look at. Um, yeah partners that we've really uh, enjoyed working with. Do you, so let's get into, um, for our audience listening, like, so um, can you describe the products that you have and the, um, the inception of how they came to be, like the ethos of you have, it's a plant-based site. Um, can you kind of give everyone listening an idea of what Seva Foods offers? Yes. So we are the world's first and only manufacturer of dairy-free freeze-dried ice cream. Um, as I spoke about a little bit a few moments ago, um, astronaut ice cream, which is uh, just a dairy-based, you know, freeze-dried ice cream product that was developed in the 60s for the Apollo missions, um, never actually went up into space, but um, that's why it was created. And now it has kind of a cult following um, the ingredients are really terrible. <laughs> They're just yeah. like the worst, just really, um, really unhealthy ingredients, artificial colors, artificial flavors, whey, um, corn syrup, just things that you wouldn't want to eat on a regular basis. And so I created space ice cream, um, to emulate the, the texture and, uh, the, the, all the great things about astronaut ice cream and all freeze dried foods. Um, but I wanted something that obviously had, um, an ingredient panel that is in alignment with the way that I eat. The really great thing about freeze dried foods and the reason I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of it in our, in our food, um, just on a day-to-day -day basis is because it's one of the best ways to preserve food. Um, unlike conventional methods of preserving food, freeze drying retains up to 95% of nutrients, um, which I think makes it a really valuable way of feeding people, um, especially, you know, when you're traveling or even, you know, going to space, I do, uh, hope to position, position Seva to be a pioneer in the space tourism industry. Um, I think that our products are ideal for space. I think that the products that are going to be in space are going to be mostly plant-based, not all plant-based. Um, and so I think that we have a great opportunity there. Um, also freeze drying makes things really lightweight. So when you remove all the water, you re remove, um, at least a third of the weight and so it makes things more portable so the space ice cream are these little cashew coconut milk based nuggets um it's probably when i'm explaining to people i say it's kind of like a meringue in terms of texture um but then once it starts to melt in your mouth you're like oh ice cream <laughs> so it, it's a really interesting experience you know most people are, are a little bit confused at first but um once once it starts to break down then it has that very uh, familiar ice cream flavor. Um, right now we have strawberry and vanilla and obviously we want to expand that range out um, as we scale with chocolate and there's just sky's the limit. There's so many different flavors that we'd like to do. Um, our other side of the spectrum, it's coconut jerky. So we are the only manufacturers of organic coconut jerky in the United States. Um, it is, uh, it's a really simple snack, but one that I think most people um, seem to really enjoy. I know that jerky in particular has, has really become a popular snack um, as people get busier and they don't want to eat maybe chips or fried things. It's something that's really easy to take on the go. Um, and we use the same young coconuts that I think most people are familiar with the water. 
um, we take the meat out and then uh, marinate it, dehydrate it, and then it's very similar to most conventional jerkies that people have had. I've even had long-term vegans and vegetarians be a little off-put by yeah. the because it's uh, it's so similar. I mean, when I'm touching it, it's it's crazy how much it feels like skin, like flesh. Um, so I think that coconut jerky. Um, the other thing that I really like about it, um, I think both products have the potential to be mainstream products. I'm not really interested in creating products for vegans specifically. Um, I know vegans because I'm one of them and we find our products. Um, I really want to have a big effect on our food system. So I'm looking yeah. to create products that appeal to, you know, not only vegans, but the other 300 million Americans um, and globally as well. Yeah, and I think that you know the advertising um, community and and the um, the economic and ecological world is behind you on that one. The shift, I mean, the obvious shift with um, oh, a friend of mine who's vegan the other day had something on saying um, vegan or plant based, depending on who you vote for. And it's like this idea that you know it. The idea is behind not saying things are vegan is that it just got a really negative connotation for a great deal of people. And so everything, I have so many people say, what's the difference between plant-based and vegan? And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> they're the same thing. Not, neither one is more healthy or not, you know? And then you can still have preservatives. I always try to tell people like vegan, just you're talking about ingredients. It's not, it's not necessarily healthy. Everyone can still get fat and horrible. You know, it's like, <laughs> we all still have those horrible elements at our disposal. So it's oh. interesting with the freeze-dried ice cream. My brain, like I start to get imaginative with things that we haven't freeze-dried yet. When you said that it's retaining over 90% of its nutritional value, have you ever thought about expanding into other areas? Or are you going to keep it tight with you know your main core um, items that you're offering right now? No, I definitely want to expand. I have lots and lots of snack ideas. I spend a, a, quite a bit of time in my kitchen. Um, just uh, recreationally. I, I really love being in the kitchen and always have. And for me, it's a place that I, I feel relaxed in. Um, and then I, I love to get creative. That, that's definitely where I express the bulk of my creativity is in the kitchen. And so um, there's so many other products I want to bring to market. And it's really important to, for me to bring veggies to market as well. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if veggies will merge with Save at some point and will become the world's first human and dog food company, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm always going to have um, 100% human grade ingredients with any any dog products that I create. That would be a possibility. Um, or if I will launch Benji's separately, but it's really important to me um, to create something in the dog food space as well, just because I feel like it's so needed. Absolutely. Well, it's what's shocking for me is when you talk about dog food and you talk about um, you know freeze dried ice cream and even like the coconut jerky. I always go to with my, and I've, you know, I've educated myself for the past decade and a half, but I always think of a synthetic ingredients for those, those, those three main categories. I'm always, I, I, I'm left with the assumption that you simply cannot make those items without that. So I steer clear of them. And I'm wondering how you, was it just a creative endeavor? Was it research? How did you come up with being able to make these products without synthetic ingredients? Well, the, the reliance on synthetic ingredients um, is really just a reflection on, on people trying to save money. Um, mm -hmm. Not be out of necessity because it's not possible, 
it's just way, way cheaper. Um, and that, that's definitely, you know, been a huge challenge for me. Um, with Seva, my primary ingredients are our organic cashews and organic coconut and organic maple syrup. Like those are three of the most expensive food items um, on the planet. And um, until I really scale, I'm not going to see a huge, you know, drastic decrease in my cogs, um, which is going to allow me to price my products in a way that is more in alignment with the way that I feel about food and accessibility. You know, I want to create products that everyone can enjoy and I want to get my price points down, um, which is why I do need to, <clears throat> to scale. That's the only way to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't see the, uh, the pattern that we've seen in most uh, produced food and most um, processed foods. The reliance on synthetics is really just because people are trying to save money. It's and, and it's just a convenience. It's not because it's not possible. With the ice cream, uh, it's five or six ingredients depending on the flavor, and that's all that you need. You don't need anything else. You know, mm -hmm. I put a, a bunch of fillers in there, and I could save money by using cheaper sweeteners, but then it wouldn't be the product that I want it to be. It wouldn't be something that I would eat. Um, same thing with pet food. Um, pet food is a bit more complicated. Um, just because I'm not a dog, so I'm not as familiar with the nutritional needs um, as I am when I'm formulating for humans. But dogs as well. Dogs have, uh, like all animals, that we have ingredient, we have, I'm sorry, we have nutrient requirements, not ingredient requirements. So as long as we're getting those nutrients, it doesn't really matter where they come from. Um, but it's much easier, uh, especially in the pet food industry, where it's all about saving a buck, unfortunately. Even the most high-end foods are just made with yeah. such ingredients. Um, and definitely not to throw shade at any of the vegan kibble companies because I love them and I'm so grateful for what they're doing. I'm just not comfortable feeding my dogs kibble every day. And I don't think anyone should be. Yeah. But no. that's why you have to meet people where they're at. Is everyone going to spend, you know, three or four hours a week home cooking for their dogs like I do? Probably not. And they shouldn't have to. I enjoy it. I love doing it. But if you don't like doing it, you shouldn't have to do it. Or if you don't feel guilty about it, you know? And so, the cool thing about uh, a formula like like Benji's is that it's the best of both worlds because it's convenient, it's dry, you can store it in your pantry, you can travel with it, it's lightweight, but then it's it's real food, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so, and I and I also really then I've and I've toyed with the idea of maybe even doing like a fresh dog food company, like you see so many of the of the meat based ones now. You know, it's basically meal delivery for dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, I struggle with the, the, the waste in terms of packaging around something like that. Um, but I mean, it's something that I think, I don't know. I mean, it's something that I think at some point we have to start feeding dogs real food and, uh, and we have to figure out a way to do it in a way that's, that's convenient and easy for people. Um, same ethos behind Seva, you know, it's like if you're starving, I know the way that I am, um, at least in the past, um, if I'm starving, I'm going to eat whatever's around because I just need to eat. And yeah. so having foods like Seva that travel with you, if you're in the middle of a food desert or in the middle of an actual desert and there's just nothing around that you can eat, these are foods that will satiate you, that will provide you nutrients, that will uh, take away the hangriness um, so that you can focus on what you're doing um, in between meals, which I think is something that's also needed. Absolutely. I agree. I wonder with your company, I talked to you a bit before um, off the record. I feel like sometimes um, some of these companies or particularly yours, do you, um, 
how did you approach the education aspect of it? You know, there's a lot of like explaining to people, like we were talking about the synthetic ingredients, you know, how that's usually for cost savings, um, what it can do to you health wise. You know, people with autoimmune are the first people that um, always bring up synthetic ingredients with me because they have an incredible turnaround when they remove diets filled with synthetic ingredients. Um, and it's because autoimmune's on on the rise. There's a lot of these, you know, these people in these communities really investigating. But how did you approach um, and how do you currently approach like the educational aspect that would seem like it would accompany, you know, your representation in SEVA? Well, you know, it's a fine line because you only have people's attention for so long. And so that was something that um, that was particularly relevant when I was designing the packaging. You know, it's like, okay, how much stuff am I going to put on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. How much information? You know, because yeah. if you thousand call outs, you know, and so I really did in our packaging really try to make it clean while still obviously educating people about all the benefits. Um, I think one thing that, that, um, that people get without really needing it explained to them is that when they turn over the bag and there's just a few ingredients and they actually know what they all mean, that, that doesn't take any explaining. People understand that means that it's real food and that their body's going to recognize it as such. And I think people, regardless of where they are in their health journey, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that real food is always going to be beneficial. Um, I'd say the biggest, um, you know, the biggest education around our foods, because they are plant-based, would be about plant-based foods and about how great they can be for everybody. And I feel like so much of that work is being done for us recently with uh, documentaries like What the Hell, starting everybody starting to get so interested in the plant-based diet and you know what I'm seeing um, is not droves of people going vegan which would be amazing but uh, still really great as I'm seeing so many people that are just really maybe they're not ready to make that 100% commitment and call themselves vegans but they're really interested in infusing as much plant-based food into their diet as possible and they're interested in not only doing it you know with plenty of salads and juices and smoothies and things like that but products like Seva creates that are fun and tasty and, um, and accessible um, so that they you know, don't have to think too hard about it. Um, I think most people want to do the right thing. It just has to be simple for them. And so right. I not even so much about, you know, obviously the information is there. People can get as deep into Seva as they want to. And we have so much information about our products on the website. But I think the most important thing for most people to understand and take away is that they can enjoy eating and still feel really good about it. Absolutely. And I think that um, you're right in that there is a lot of um, educating happening, documentaries like you were mentioning, What the Health, Cowspiracy, those types of things, like really drawing the full circle about, you know, it's the health, it's the environment, it's the future of the planet. It's, it's a bunch of other things, you know, it's, um, and I think that that's where the term veganism, you know, a lot of people feel like it's a political platform and it's, um, the diet and being plant-based and things like that, it ties into, you know, um, this is the trickle down of, I, I truly believe that good systems are good usually all the way through. And if something's healthy for you, it's going to be better for the environment. It's going to be better for your dog. You know, it's all of these things. And we're all systems, you know, and disjointing those or treating something stratified just doesn't work out. Um, I agree with that. So we talked a little, you talked about scaling and things like that as far as goals. Do you have like a three-year plan as far as what you see with um, scaling or product expansion or anything else on the horizon? Yes, for sure. I mean, uh, I mean, even 
sooner than three years. Like as I was saying earlier, um, early next year, we hope to move our production out of our own kitchen and begin working with our co-packer. Um, which we're getting ready to do now. Um, the co-packer is just going to allow us to create so much more um, volume than we do now. And I'm, I'm fortunate because of the nature of my products, I don't have to produce all year. And actually, it's beneficial for me to produce seasonally um, when my ingredients are the least expensive. Um, and so mm -hmm. we're going to be moving to that co-packer, um, producing bigger volumes. Um, and I'm really excited about not being in the production business anymore and just focusing on the marketing and selling, which is the part that I'm good at and the part that I want to be doing. Absolutely. Um, and then it, I just, I really, within the next years, just want to expand to as many channels as possible. Not only those bigger, um, big box retailers and, uh, bigger grocers that we spoke about, but also there's so many more, um, channels that we could be in. I mean, obviously the schools and universities and hospitals are a great market for us because our products are so healthy um, and because they do have a lot of appeal with, with young people as well. Um, I do want to be working with NASA or SpaceX. Um, or so cool. Who can yeah. say that? Who can say they're developing something that's like going to go into space? I want to do that. That sounds I, fantastic. That's like my dream. That's my, my dream partner. And so I'm um, starting to look more into that. I actually had the opportunity to um, demo some ice cream a few months ago at um, a, a launch party for the, um, for the space, uh, the ISS, the International Space Station. And so that was really fun. And I look forward to having more opportunities to uh, to partner with with NASA and with companies like that because I really do feel like that's the future and it's going to be here really soon. <laughs> yeah, Seva and in I'll, space. Yeah, <laughs> and then just to to expand globally with Seva, um, obviously is a dream of mine. I think that there's we've seen just little hints of it, but I know that our products would do really well, um, particularly in Asia, Japan. Um, so I'd love to be able to tap into those markets. Um, and then I don't know if it's going to happen in the next three years, but certainly sometime very soon um, to be able to, to officially launch Benji's as well and be able to, um, my dream with Benji's is to not only have uh, Benji's Inc., you know, which is going to be the corporate entity that's doing what I call for-profit activism um, and creating these great products that are good for all animals on the planet. Um, but then eventually I would, my dream is to launch Benji's foundation and to be able to facilitate international dog rescue. Um, um, be, and then it's an interesting, you know, tie in to the Asian markets, you know, who have, you know, some really big um, issues with animal protection and rights and things like that. It'd be an, a good contrast, I think, and, and a good way to go about it, having that buddy uh, relationship between the two companies. So you, it's, you, it sounds like you've gotten like a, a really tidy, like fast and hard um, history and uh, degree in, you know, your startups and, and how to go and how to grow and do things like that. If you were advising someone tomorrow who was going to start up um, a like non-synthetic ingredient um, plant-based, you know, food startup, what are the top three pieces of advice you think would be most useful for them to have out the gate? Well, immersing yourself in the community um, as much as possible. That's going to be different for everyone, right? It's going to mm -hmm. have a lot to do with where you live, um, what your time looks like. So that can be as simple as joining groups on Facebook. You know, I love being a part of um, different um, industry type groups on Facebook. So um, I there's a there's a couple of groups that are just focused on on 
you know, vegan professionals and, and vegans running big companies and things like that. So that kind of community, um, just in terms of networking and seeing what other people are doing, getting inspired is really great. Obviously, if you have the opportunity to uh, have direct involvement with people in similar industries as you um, locally, that's really great too. Um, mentorship is something that we all strive for and look for. And even if that's not accessible to you, um, just reaching out to people that, that you're, that you want to emulate, you know, and, and just trying to make connections with people that are, have done or are doing things that you're interested in can be really helpful. Um, and almost as good as that is, is listening to interviews on podcasts like yours. I can't tell you how much I've learned. Yeah. How much that I've learned listening to podcasts um that focus on um on vegan industry because uh, there's a lot actually a lot on the vegan food industry but in all the industries i think there's just so much available on podcasts so i think um listening as much as you can and just taking in all that free information i think is one of the one of the best resources we have out there um and let's see and then the third would be um, make sure that whatever you're doing, you're extremely, extremely passionate about and that you would do it for free because you're most likely going to be doing it for yeah. a while. <laughs> and so I think it's important because it's, there's so many reasons to quit and there's so many reasons to stop and people are going to tell you no a thousand times. And so there has to be some really deep fire, um, that is um, under all of that. Otherwise, um, it is really easy to burn out, I feel like, when things get tough um, because the life of an entrepreneur isn't easy and it can often feel like you're on a roller coaster from day to day even. Um, and so there has to be a, a deep love and a deep commitment, I think, um, to really be successful because it's not only about, I think so much of it is just about being in the right place at the right time and having the right connections, but the tenacity is also just as equally important. And I think that the only way that you can that you can sustain the level of tenacity that's required to build a business from the ground up is to not be able to do anything else. And that's blind passion. Yeah. So I've got immerse yourself in the community, um, find mentorship and reaching out to people and then listen to as much free information, interviews, podcasts that you can and make sure that you're passionate about it. Those are awesome. I like those three pieces. Um, savafoods.com, S-E-V-A-F-O-O-D-S.com. Is that where everyone can find you? Yes. On all social, across all social channels as well. Yes. Um, awesome. We are out of time, Michelle, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. We're coming up on a Thanksgiving holiday and I really appreciate, I know you're busy. Every entrepreneur is and every entrepreneur around the holidays is busy times a million. And so I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about, um, Seva Foods and Benji's Canine Cuisine and um, your story within both of those. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. And for everyone listening, thank you for taking the time and hearing us today. And until we speak again, remember to always bet on yourself. Slug show.